You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Good morning. Welcome home. Welcome home. I saw, I saw some people today that I haven't seen in a while, and it's like the hug was all I needed for the fall. Like, that was, that's what I look forward to. You guys are talking about sweater weather and pumpkin spice sauces. I look forward to hugging some of y'all I haven't seen in a little bit. So uh, that's why pastors like the fall, because the lakes start to get shut down, and y'all have to come and hang out with me. So uh, I'm just a little, I'm selfish, okay? I'm selfish. But I want to jump right in today, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump around a couple different scriptures, but we're going to start there. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're in this series, little mini-series, two weeks, this is it, uh, talking about conflict resolution. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then listen to this language. Make every effort... Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, what's interesting about that phrase, make every effort, is in the original language, Greek, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, that phrase is the same phrase that pops up in other places in ancient Greco-Roman culture. And it was used for trainers getting gladiators ready to get in the ring for a fight. That, was, that is the phrase that Paul is using here, which is kind of strange because he's talking about making peace, right? And he chooses this phrase from gladiators. Anybody ever seen gladiators or know what I'm talking about? Not peaceful, not the most peaceful environment you can imagine. So what is he trying to say? Paul's saying, if you want peace, you can't be half-hearted about it. It's not just gonna happen. You've gotta make every effort, the language he uses, or in last week in Romans, Paul talked about uh, as much as it depends on you, Right, as much as you can, as much as it depends on you personally to live at peace with everyone. You, you've got to fight for peace. Like, peace isn't just going to happen. You have to be a peacemaker. Right, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So how do we make peace? What is our role in making peace in times of conflict? Because I don't know if you know this, but conflict's kind of inevitable, People are going to rub you the wrong way. Things are going to be done to you, said to you. Uh, you might do things or say things that spark conflict. Like, it's just, it's just kind of a fact of life. Some of you emailed me this week and you said, hey, thanks so much for encouraging us uh, to put out conflict. I had more of it this week than I have in like months. And I'm like, sorry about that. Wait till I preach about like marriage or something. My wife and I will have all kinds of problems that week. Like, that's just how, that's just how it works. <laughs> That's always how it works, you know, where I preach about money and it's like, well, I'm broke. That was awesome, you know. But so last week we talked about ways you can be a peacemaker. If you missed that, um, those are always, they stay up on YouTube and Facebook or on our website. They're easier to find on there maybe. Uh, we talked about 
sometimes the first way to make peace is to just not enter into a conflict to begin with, right? There's that proverb we looked at where, where it says that it's to your glory to overlook an offense. Like some of us would be in far less conflicts if we would learn how to overlook some small stuff. That's really not a big deal, but we fight about it. Um, and then the other one we looked about was empathy, right? How do we have empathy for someone we're in conflict with? How do we learn to see it from the other person's perspective and what they're thinking and feeling and why they said what they said? And, and we, we talked about that. Um, if you remember, I had a, a golf putter with me, right? And so uh, I did this whole illustration about kind of reading a putt and how it's kind of like that when we're trying to find empathy, I just want you to know, because I feel like we were all a part of this. After that putting illustration, I went out the next day and shot the best golf round of my life. Uh, So what that means is you should be very prepared for more golf illustrations. (laughs) Like monthly. I'm going to find a way. I was literally like, I'm a whole whole like 16 or something. My score is pretty good. And I'm just thinking, my whole church is in this with me. We're here together. You guys were cheering me on. I just felt you... You guys don't like golf, do you? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I'm a nerd. Okay. Um, But sometimes, and and this was brought up to me in several conversations this week, right? Sometimes we do everything that we can do. Paul says, as much as it depends on who? You. As much as it depends on you live at peace. Sometimes you or me, we do everything that we can to live at peace, and yet uh, we can't. And several people talked to me last week about, you know, you say we should just overlook, but I, I can't overlook this. Or, you know, you say to have empathy and I've done that, but boy, that doesn't really solve the problem. And um, you're right. Like sometimes it doesn't. And by the way, if you remember, I said not every offense should be overlooked. Some people brought up things that were just horrific. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying you should overlook that. I'm talking about the things that you don't overlook that you fight about that later you go, that wasn't worth it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever get in a fight that later you're like, well, that was dumb. I just wasted way too much energy on something that doesn't really matter. Right? That's the kind of stuff that, that Proverbs is talking about overlooking, not talking about you know, some of the most serious things that have happened to you. But what do we do? What do we do when something's been done to us that is so painful or so wrong that we can't overlook it? And then we try to step into it. We try to resolve it, but, but we can't. We cannot live at peace. A few years ago, I read a story about the Jaeger family. Uh, the Jaegers were camping in, in the Colorado Rockies. It was actually their first big camping trip together as a blended family. And they went camping, and there's two daughters, uh, Heidi, who was 13, and Susie, who was seven. And so the daughters were in one tent camping, and the parents were in another tent just kind of nearby. And they were so excited. It was a beautiful day. And they were like, so they got there, they unpacked, they set up camp and everything, and then they went to sleep for that first night. And they woke up the next morning. Heidi was the first one awake, the 13-year-old, and she looked around, and she couldn't find her sister in the tent. And she thought, well, maybe, maybe she's just playing a prank on me or something. And so she got out of the tent, and she looked around and couldn't find her hiding nearby. She went to the restroom, couldn't find her. So she ran back to the tent where their parents woke them up and said, you know, we can't find Susie. We don't know where she's at. So they started doing the same thing, right? They started looking everywhere for this lost child, calling her name, you know, running through the park, running through the Rockies, trying to find her. Fifteen months later, Susie's body was found. The mother said that night I had an argument with God. (laughs) You ever done that? think so. She said, I told him, 
My daughter was an innocent, defenseless little girl, and I'm her mom. It's only natural that I would want to hurt the man who did this. I'd agree with that. It's only natural that you would want to hurt someone else that did that to you. But then over time, this strange thing happened, right? Slowly, didn't happen all of a sudden. Slowly, over years, day by day, she began to train herself. That's the word she used. I trained myself to be concerned about my daughter's killer. So years later, a local contractor, he was 24-year-old male, confessed to the crime. And after he was arraigned and thrown in jail, Jaeger was interviewed. And in that interview, she did what I think is unimaginable. I just, I can't even wrap my head around this. But on live television, she said, I have forgiven him. The guy interviewing her was so shook by the fact that she would say that and asked her, well, how is that possible? What do you mean you've forgiven him? And here's what she said. These are her words. I realized if I gave in to the rage and the fury in me, that desire for revenge, that it would consume me and I would never be any good to anyone. When we live with rage and bitterness, we not only destroy ourselves, but we give the killer another victim. That doesn't make sense to me. Like the idea of forgiving someone who killed your child seems so unnatural, right? Because what's natural is revenge. What's natural is to hurt them. So like on a human level, stories like this, and there's a lot of them, stories like this just make me go, is that, is that real? Like, can you really do that? But there's been lots of them. One of the most famous examples was in 1984. It's actually captured on the cover of Time Magazine. Think about this, Time Magazine, talking about this. Um, that's Pope John Paul II there on the left. And he is shaking the hand of a man named Ali Agha, who was a mercenary hired to assassinate him. And who years earlier, about three years before this picture, had actually used that same hand to fire four bullets into the Pope's body. Some of you might have remembered when this happened. The Pope met with him while he was in prison. That's what this picture is. And told the world that he had forgiven Ali and he encouraged them to do the same. 2000, about 16 years later, Ali Agha was pardoned from a life sentence at the urging of the Pope to the Turkish embassy. He was pardoned. And then in 2014, Agha actually went to the Vatican and laid roses on the Pope's casket and spoke about how they had stayed in touch and actually had become friends. And he'd become friends with Ali's parents and family. The, the hand that's shaking this other hand was literally one of the hands that was shot. So the, the question on the cover, I think, is the right question, isn't it? Why? Why forgive? Because that's the last thing I want to do when I've been wronged. It's the last thing I want to do when someone's hurt me or they've said something to me or, or they've really taken something from me. Forgiveness is not usually the thing I'm plotting in my mind, right? How can I forgive them? So I want to open back up to Romans. Romans 12, this is the passage we looked at last week, but today we're going to expand it a little bit. We're going to double click on it and expand it a little bit and catch some of the context of this. 
So last, verse 18 was the main one. Today we're gonna start in verse 17. So Romans 12, 17, if you've got a Bible or um, it's in the Bible app, remember, click on events, click on our church, all of it's loaded in there for you. Because I think the context is where things really get, get interesting here. So starting in verse 17, Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, which that's another one of those phrases. It's kind of the like, as much as it's possible, live at peace with everyone. It's like everyone. And then here Paul's like, do right in the eyes of everyone. Like some people don't even agree on what's right. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to do that, right? This is, this is a tough one. Then verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, verse 20, so don't revenge. On the contrary, here's what, here's what I want you to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's, a, it's an interesting passage. So we're gonna, we're gonna walk through this a little bit. So the first thing Paul says is a very clear command. There's no kind of getting around it. He says, do not take revenge. Right, now remember, Paul's life was full of conflict. He had haters on all sides, enemies everywhere he went. Like he, his life was full of conflict. And yet here he says, don't take revenge. And he adds this little phrase, do not take revenge, dear friends. Dear friends. Why does he add that? You ever thought, you ever wonder that? Why does he say dear friends in that spot? And I started to think, you know, it's kind of like when I'm in an argument with, let's say, my spouse, and I, I need to say something kind of sensitive, kind of hard to hear. So rather than just come right out with it, I'll start with like a, hey, babe. <laughs> hey, honey, schnookums, whatever your pet name is. And then you say the thing that's kind of hard to hear, right? It's, but it's like, you can't be mad at me because I started the sentence with babe. That makes it okay. <laughs> You've done this before, haven't you? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like that's Paul here. He's like, I gotta, I gotta say something to you that's gonna be hard and you're not gonna like it and I'm not sure you're gonna receive it all that well. So I'm gonna say friends because I wanna remind you, I'm saying this from a place of relationship. Like I care about you. I'm telling you this because I'm your friend. I care about you. Dear friends, do not take Revenge. What does revenge look like for you? Because I don't think it, it typically, I mean, I guess it could, but typically for most of us, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it does in the movies, right? Like most movies are built on these plots of revenge where someone has harmed, you know, your child. Or, and so they're in the basement plotting for 12 years with the maps and the dots and the, the pictures of the surveillance, surveillance that they've done and their routes to school or whatever, because one day I'm going to get back at them for what they've done, right? That's probably not you, I hope. If it is, we have security here today. Um, I'm worried about you. It, it probably, it's probably not like the country songs. There's a lot of good country songs that are based on revenge, like Carrie Underwood talking about key in the car of her ex, right? The pretty four-wheel drive. Anybody know that song? Um, 
By the way, the other day, I went back, and song popped on the radio. I hadn't heard it in a long time. I remember when I was in, like, I think it was in late high school, early college, when Goodbye Earl came on. <laughs> remember that song? And I remember just thinking, oh, this is catchy. This is kind of a cool, fun tune. Have you read those lyrics? <laughs> That's a messed up song. It's about poisoning a guy. Like, it's terrible. But, but for most of us, like, you might fantasize about taking revenge like that. Most of us won't actually do it, Right? And I'm glad, by the way, you shouldn't. But yet, re- revenge is more than just an action. I think revenge is an attitude. It, it can be internal, not just external. Um, a, a pastor named Clay Scroggins said this, and I, I think this catches it perfectly. It says, revenge isn't just external retaliation. It's also the internal celebration of someone else's misfortune. So it's not just like the thing we do to try to get back at them. It's like this internal heart thing that when something bad happens to them, we're like, oh, that's too bad. Oh, they lost their job. Couldn't have happened to a better person, right? It's that thing that says, ah, they finally got theirs, karma. You know, what comes around, comes. you know, you reap what you sow, you know, that kind of thing. When, when you are that way, you're not externally taking revenge, but internally, internally, you're celebrating the downfall of someone else. Listen, you're not at peace. You're, you're not at peace. You, you are being controlled by them. You're, being, you're still being controlled by what they did or said, how, even if it was years ago, if you're still plotting their demise. So whether it's an external action or more of an internal attitude, Paul says, man, I want, you, I want you to rid your life of that. Friends, don't take revenge. But instead, he says, you can leave room for God's wrath. Right? Anyone read that and think, now we're talking, right? God's gonna get that punk for me, right? That's kind of, it's like God's gonna get him. I don't think, I don't think this means what we think it means. Because I, I, I'm tempted to read this verse and see God as like this hitman for hire, <laughs> right? Like God works for me. He saw what happened. He knows what they did. And he is like the big bouncer in the sky that's gonna go after him for me. And I, and I don't think that's how we should read this for a couple of reasons. And the primary reason being that you and I are sometimes not just the offended But if we're honest, we're the offender. Like, do you really want that to be true? Because I'm not perfect. And I don't want God coming after me because I've done something wrong. God is gracious. He is patient. He is a loving father. Not just with me, but also with my enemies. But yet, it says, leave room for God's Wrath, what is that, right? When the Bible talks about God's, how can God both be loving and wrathful? Those two things, is it just me? They feel kind of like incompatible. And I think that's because we see wrath as a personality trait or, or it, it's like, um, you know, internal to who God, it's like a part of God's character. Like how could God be love and also be wrathful? I think a better way for us to think about God's wrath is that it is his 
anger not towards human beings, not towards me, not towards you. It is his anger towards the consequences of sin and the consequences of our actions. That God is wrathful towards sin because, because sin causes real damage. And it breaks up families and it wrecks our lives and it destroys our planet. And Paul's reminding us here, hey, do not mistake God's patience and kindness for weakness. That he's not gonna just let everything go. That he's still righteous and he is still just and he is still the only righteous judge. Like when, when things are going bad or something happens to you or this whole world's spinning out of control, like God's not up in heaven going like, oh man, if only somebody could do something about this. I'm just, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. God's wrath speaks to God's justice. It speaks to God having a plan to one day put all wrongs right and to turn all injustice into judgment. Like one day, God's gonna do away with all the evil you've ever experienced, all the evil in this world, even all the evil that you've participated in and done. He's gonna, he's gonna end the world of that. He's gonna make everything right. But, and this is the key, Paul's reminding us, it's his plan and his justice, not ours. Because our justice is not blind. We like to say that, right? We've got the little scales. You've seen the picture of uh, the justice scales uh, in American uh, courtrooms where the, you know, the judge is blind or whatever. Like, that's really not possible as human beings. Our justice is not blind. It's not always impartial. And the verse goes on. It says, because it's mine to avenge, I will repay. God says, this is my job. Let me handle it. Let me do my job as the only righteous justice that's ever been. Let me be the one that worries about repayment, that worries about judgment. See, when we take matters into our own hands, we will always struggle to find equal repayment. We will always struggle to find equal repayment. There's been so many interviews with families after someone's been executed where they'll, they'll talk to the families and they were hurting and they, they thought that what would bring them peace, they thought that what would bring them healing and closure was to see the person who hurt their loved one be hurt. And yet it didn't do that. Because what they wanted more than justice, what they wanted more than anything was to have their loved one back was to go back in time and have whatever happened not have happened. But, but that's not possible, right? That, that's not a possible outcome. And so they're still not at peace. And that's like a really big example. But even in the smaller conflicts that we have with each other and the arguments that we have and the, the ways that we hurt one another, a lot of the times, whatever we say will make it up to us. Well, if they'll just do this, then I'll feel better. It, Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it just, it doesn't, right? Nothing makes up for that. And it's hard to feel like that wrong has really been made right. It's like, what, what would really balance the scales so that you would finally feel at peace? So Paul is reminding us, leave room for God to do his job. God is our defender. Right? He will take up the wrong that's been done to you. But if you take revenge, you will only prolong the cycle of conflict and the lack of peace in your life. You won't be at peace that way. 
And that's the goal. You know who God is the most angry at? You know who has the most wrath stored up for them waiting to be dished out? Satan. The devil, your spiritual enemy. The one who's at the spark, the one who pours the gasoline on the fire, right? The one who started all of this conflict stuff in the very beginning. The one who loves stirring up all of the fighting and the quarreling. That's the one who God's got the most wrath for. And so I wonder sometimes when I'm mad at someone or I'm in conflict or something's been done, I wonder how it might change my perspective if I was at least half as angry at Satan as I was this person. Because he's behind it, right? If you are, if you are in division, if, if you've sowed seeds of conflict, if there's been fighting, if there's been evil done to you, he is in the mix somewhere. Right? Paul says it's not against flesh and blood that we have this war, it's against spiritual forces, in the heavenly realms, unseen enemies. Like that is where the real battle lies. So I'm wondering like when I'm trying to find resolution or I'm trying to get into this conflict with someone, if I would at least just stop for a minute and recognize that we have a common enemy who's actually trying to keep us at odds with one another. What if we spend our energy fighting him for a little bit? So let's keep going in Romans. Chapter 12, this is verse 20. So Paul's like, don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. Then he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now I have to say, as someone who really, really appreciates a good meal, part of me thought like, yeah, this is why I fight with you guys sometimes. Because it says you gotta feed me. (laughs) I I just pick fights hoping you'll invite me over for dinner. And then we can like resolve it. See, some of you, that's a strategy. I'm just saying, you're hungry. But it's this last phrase that's really weird, right? He says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Because nothing sounds like resolution and friendliness. (laughs) Like burning coals on someone's head, right? Anyone read that and go, awesome. And then you go look for the coals, Where's the fireplace nearby? I want to scoop up a bunch of those and throw them at this person I'm upset with, right? This is, um, this is ancient language. This is where us being so far removed from the culture of the biblical writers makes it difficult for us. But in ancient cultures, putting coals on your head was a symbol of repentance. It was a symbol of saying, I admit my wrong and, and I'm, I'm going to change, right? It was a symbol of seeking remorse, expressing remorse culturally. So what this is saying is that instead of seeking revenge, when you act supernaturally, because I really don't think this is natural, when, when the Holy Spirit enables you to instead by seeking revenge, but instead blessing people who are wronging you and serving them a meal, treating them with kindness He's saying, you're like holding a mirror up to them so they could kind of see for themselves who they really are and what they've really done. Did anybody grow up in a a home where maybe it was your mom or for me, it was my grandma, used to always tell me, Michael, you just got to kill him with kindness. You know that phrase? I was always like, that's a weird killing and kindness. How How does that work, grandma? 
But her idea is like when someone does wrong with you, like when you're just kind back and you just don't stoop to their level, like you always take the high road, that'd be another way of phrasing that, that messes with people, right? If they're just like being angry and mad at you and just tripping you up and always starting stuff with you and you just never enter into the fray, you just stay above it the whole time, it probably makes them more mad at first actually. But the reason why is because you're holding that mirror up and they're seeing themselves, they're seeing what they're doing. So Paul is saying that by blessing them and feeding these people, you're, you're actually leading to a place where they might repent. They might see themselves for who they are and they might choose to change and that'll bring peace. It's interesting. But I wanna go back to that original question. We'll kind of end with this conversation. Time Magazine says, why forgive? That's a great question. Why forgive? There's lots of reasons you should forgive. Okay, if you're asking that, why should I forgive? One is it's actually better for you physically. Um, they've done studies, medical journals, peer-reviewed articles where becoming a person of forgiveness lowers your blood pressure, um, actually decreases symptoms of depression, lowers your stress. So like even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching this online or whatever and you're like, I don't know about all this true stuff, becoming a person of forgiveness is better for you. Like just in general, your life will be better but on top of all of that, I think the real answer, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, the real answer is in Luke chapter six. So flip with me to Luke chapter six, verse 35. This is Jesus talking here. And I think that's important because sometimes people wanna pit Paul and Jesus against one another as if they're kind of different, saying different things, but they actually have way more in agreement. So this is Luke chapter six, Jesus speaking. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them. That sounds a lot like what we just read, Right? and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So why should you forgive according to Jesus? Because your heavenly father is forgiving. Why should you be merciful to evil people? Why should you be merciful to the ungrateful? Well, because that's how God is. He's merciful. He's merciful to you. He's merciful to me. So the number one reason that we should forgive is because it reveals the heart of God to the world. It shows the world who Jesus is. And that is your mission, by the way. If you are a follower of Jesus, your mission is to reveal the heart of God to the world. That's why you were created. You were created in the image of God. You are his stand-in, right? Paul uses the language of ambassador. You are his ambassador here. You represent him to the world. And one of the ways you and I best represent him is by forgiving people the way he has forgiven us. Now, I know the second we talk about forgiveness, some of us kind of, there's just a wall instantly, right? We close up because we're thinking about someone. I actually had someone last week say, you know, didn't you just talk about forgiveness? <laughs> and I was like, I went back through my notes this week and I'm like, it's been a while. Like, you're always talking about forgiveness. Like, I think that might be a struggle, 
that God's trying to talk to you about. Right? It's, this is hard. It's like, there's no way I can forgive that person, Mike. Like, you don't understand. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they said. And you're right, I don't. I, I don't know what they did. God does. And I do know that as long as you're holding on to that, you're not at peace. Because I've been there. You're not at peace. They are still controlling you. What happened is still in the past is still controlling your present and will affect your future unless you learn to forgive. So I wanna talk quickly about what forgiveness is not because I think this is a part of the issue. I talk to people about forgiving them. like, you don't understand, I can't because. And so I just want you to understand, forgiveness is not condoning. To forgive someone doesn't mean that what they did to you was okay. Right? If you forgive someone, you are not condoning their actions or their choices. Forgiveness is also not forgetting what they did. Sometimes people say that all the time. Well, you gotta forgive and forget. Not sure that's always possible. Doesn't mean you forget what happened. Forgiveness also doesn't mean you become best friends again. Sometimes it, it doesn't even mean that you move back in together or that you let them back in your life. There are some cases where things happen where you should not do that. But that would not be wise. That would not be the healthy choice. None of those things are forgiveness. Forgiveness, simply put, is the choice to let go of the resentment and give up the need for repayment. Okay, forgiveness is the choice to let go of resentment and give up the need for repayment. I wanna walk through that a little bit. First of all, it's a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling. I've never once felt like forgiving someone. Maybe you're a better person than me, but I've just never woke up and gone like, I just feel so good to forgive them. Forgiveness for me starts with a choice. You may never feel positive thoughts towards that person, but you could still choose to forgive. Second, it's about letting go of resentment. It's not about letting go of the truth of what happened. It's about letting go of the prison of bitterness that I built around myself that's affecting me. As, as that, that mom of, of the daughter said, I, I'm not good to anybody if I live in that place. So it's letting, I'm not gonna let my past control my present and my future. And then number three, I'm gonna stop demanding repayment because in most cases, I'm not gonna get that anyway. And even if I did, it wouldn't satisfy me. It wouldn't bring the peace that I think it will unless I learn how to let go of the resentment as well. And the last thing I'll just add is that forgiveness is a process. It takes time. Like this isn't something that we just snap our fingers and step into. Something I've kind of debated, and, and you can disagree with me on this. I, don't, I, don't, I think that's fine. But I, I think sometimes forgiveness is a choice we make several times. Like we wake up each day and choose to forgive that person or whatever. And I got to do it again the next day because I'm just still not, you know. I, it's almost like I got to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm trying to forgive. Like it can be a journey, I think, for a lot of us. And so for some of us come in here and you're like, I just, I'm not ready. I can't do that yet. I can't let that go. I wonder if you could just take one step closer. Like one of the things I was praying this week, it was just odd to me. I, I just talk to God like I talk to anybody. We're, we're friends, right? And I, I was praying about this message and I just said, Lord, if people, 
if people would just leave Sunday afternoon and hate that person 2% less, I think that would be a win. Like if you got in your car today and who, cause you're thinking about someone. If you got in your car today and you resented them just a few percentage points less, that would be a step closer to forgiveness. Maybe you need to write a letter and you're, but, but maybe you're not ready to send it. But you need to get it out. You need to write it out. Maybe you are ready to send it. Maybe you're ready for the phone call to say, hey, can we meet? I, I need to forgive you for something. Or I need to ask for your forgiveness. Because let's be real. Sometimes we're on the other side of this thing, aren't we? And maybe we need to be the initiator to say, hey, I wronged you. And I'm ready to try to make that right. And again, complete reconciliation may not be possible. You may not become best friends again. That may not even be wise. Maybe the other person doesn't want your forgiveness. Maybe it's someone who's passed away and there's just no way to even like talk to them. Again, I would encourage you to write down what you want to say. Like what if you could accept the apology you'll never receive? What would that look like? You're never gonna hear, I'm sorry. They can't give that to you. What would it look like for you to receive that today? What if you just said, I'm gonna choose to stop demanding repayment. I'm gonna wish them well, and I'm just, I'm gonna live free because I wanna be at peace. Peace begins when your demand for repayment ends. So what would it look like for you to take one step closer to forgiveness? Let me pray for us. Father, this is one of those things where without you uh, checking my heart, without your Holy Spirit empowering me, I'm just not sure we ever get there. It's not natural to forgive. It's supernatural, which is why when we do it, it displays your heart to the world because it's just, it's like, wow, that, that has to be God doing that. So whoever we're thinking about today, Lord, whatever the conflict looks like, whatever was done or said or whatever, Lord, I just pray, would you help us take one step closer to peace? Whether that's writing a letter, whether that's the phone call this week, whether that's accepting the apology that we'll never get to hear, whether that's just choosing to let go of repayment, whatever it is, would you help us to just take a step closer to peace by taking a step closer to forgiveness? And we're grateful, Lord, that you are merciful and forgiving to us because we don't deserve it either. So help us to be your representatives in this world. And we pray this in your name, amen.